Hello and welcome to episode 46 of the Uncapped Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Sands, and Uncapped is brought to you by the Roast House Pub, one of Frederick's finest craft beer and culinary destinations, where great people come to drink amazing beer. Visit them to track their taps and menus at roasthousepub.com or download the digital pour app to track what's on tap live. And this week we have the Brews Association of Maryland in, also the Maryland Craft. I'll let you say okay. the other two because I'm going to mess them up. Guild. And the Maryland Wineries Association. So that is Kevin Attic speaking, the executive director. And we also have Callie Pfeiffer, who has a really long title, if I remember correctly. So I'll I you... am the communications manager for all I the lied. associations. I lied. That is not long. <laughs> I, I thought Graham mumbled something longer earlier. <laughs> Graham thought he was going to get a break from getting picked on again. Oh, goodness. <laughs> no, I didn't. So, so first up, let's... Um, Let's say you were nice enough to offer another pair of tickets to give away to anyone who is watching live. Mm -hmm. So if you leave a comment and share this live video at the end, we'll try to do it live. But if I'm fumbling around too much, I'll announce it afterwards. Yes. So we'll be doing the giveaway to the Baltimore Craft Beer Festival for this weekend. Yes. So let's just talk about that right now because you have a bunch of awesome new things that are being offered during this festival absolutely so we're gonna have i think we're over 45 breweries now Mm -hmm. that are participating in the festival so it's this saturday at canton waterfront park um from 12 to 5 and which is a beautiful location oh my gosh it's incredible yep so beautiful in fact the first one there was a wedding right nearby that wasn't happy about people having loud (laughs) fun (laughs) (laughs) oops But yeah, so that, I mean, it's an incredible location and there's going to be, like I said, over 45 breweries, tons of fresh local food, um, Baltimore craft vendors, um, live music. And actually what's pretty cool about the live music this year is this time we are doing the first ever battle for the brewskis. So it's kind of going to be like a battle for the bands competition. And so we selected three bands, three local bands who have submitted audition tapes and they're all three going to perform at the festival. And then attendees are going to be able to text and vote in for their favorite band. And at the end of it, the band is the winning band will win a prize beyond their wildest dreams. It's basically going to be a giant mound of beer. It'll be incredible. Uh, It's going to be so much fun. So you're just collecting beer from all the different participating breweries? Exactly. A truckload of beer, yeah. uh, I mean, that's probably better than any other gig they've ever played. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's going to be fun, that's for sure. And then also new this year, we're actually going to have yoga going on at the festival. So Hapasana is actually going to come out to the event, and right in the beginning, he's going to be teaching a yoga class for however long people want to, you know, just do their deep breathing and stretch out and get ready and feel good and then go taste all the Maryland craft beer they care to have. Can anybody do it? (laughs) Anybody can do it. We'll we'll just keep that broad. I'll try. (laughs) It sounds like a challenge, Kevin. Uh, It will be, and I imagine the challenge gets a little more difficult as the day goes on. So am I hearing challenge accepted? Uh, Sure, (laughs) I'll I'll give it a whirl. I'll make sure I have video (laughs) and photos for everyone (laughs) to view that. So that, that's an interesting trend that's really taken off lately of mixing yoga in beer slash at breweries. Yeah. So is, I'm, I'm assuming that's why yeah. it's being tied it's in thing. because yeah. so many breweries are offering the morning yoga classes and then you go straight into noon drinking. Exactly. You get the best of both worlds. <laughs> I don't yet understand it, but I may be a convert after the weekend. Uh, after Saturday. Yeah, who knows? Anything can happen. 
So now the VIP, VIP hour starts yep. at noon. The VIP hour, yep, that's from noon to 1.30. So everybody in there will pretty much get to skip all of the crazy lines. You'll get to talk one-on-one with um, whoever's pouring the beer, which may even be the brewers themselves, which will be a lot of fun. Um, you'll get to taste all of the VIP harvest ales that are exclusive only to the people who have purchased those tickets. Um, and everybody brews something special for that. So it's really exciting to see what everybody brings to offer or has to offer. That's one of the things I love about the craft beer festival here in Frederick mm-hmm. and then the Baltimore one is that so many of the breweries, the owners or the brewers themselves are the ones yep. pouring the beer. It's not like a lot of your other for-profit uh, sponsored uh, festivals where it's either the distributors of those beers that are providing their employees or it's just volunteer staffed you do get to meet a lot of the people who are involved with actually making the beer. Exactly, exactly. Because this festival, I mean, it is for them. It's for the industry. It's to spread the word, spread awareness, make sure that people know all of the incredible things that are going on right here in the state of Maryland. And they are the main focus. So, yeah, we love that they come out themselves to talk about what they're proud of. These are the main ways that BAM raises funds, correct? Yeah, so, so, I mean, a point of distinction about our festivals versus some of the others that you see, the, the for-profit events, these are all Maryland brewers, right? So 45 brewers, that's the single largest attendance of, I guess, I guess uh, collection of brewers that we've had at any event, which is exciting. I mean, if there's only 60 licensed in the state and we've got 45 of them there, and they're coming from all over the state, so it's not just the ones nearest Baltimore. They're coming from Eastern Shore, Southern Maryland, you know, well, yeah, I think the the um, newish guys from Cumberland are going to be there too, yep. right? Yeah, we have a lot of new guys. Um, and in fact, we we pulled a special permit called the Family Beer and Wine Exhibition Permit. Um, so bring your family, but it <laughs> it it allows uh, these brewers who are not yet licensed, so they're considered to be non-commercial breweries, so homebrew. That it's allowing them to come and pour their beer at the event, which is really exciting. I mean, that's how I learned about uh, a couple of my new favorites is is from uh, Maryland Craft Beer Festival, having these guys show up a year before they're actually licensed pouring their beer. Yeah, I like that area in the spring where there was the whole row of uh, the breweries and planning. So it's like you can, like it feels like they've already been around now, but I don't think anyone in that tent has opened yet. Midnight Run, trying they're to close. Was there. Yeah, Midnight Run close. was there. Checker yeah. Spot was yep. there, which has beer everywhere because they just collaborate with everyone, <laughs> right. which is awesome. So, yeah. you, like, they already have um, the brands out there. Yeah, their yeah. brand is already fairly well known, and they're it. They're out there, but so they should really hit the ground running. And their location is going to be amazing for them. Exactly. Right, they're right outside. Is it Oriole Park or Ravens? Uh, uh, Stadium. Well, One of both the, Ravens. Okay, it's like yeah. yeah. So that I I was talking to him and like just saying that that's gonna be absolute. If it's at all like there's Mission Brewing in San Diego, that is like there's the parking lot to the Padre Stadium, and then their parking lot. Yeah, and I went there uh, right before a Padres game once, and the the line was out the door of people going to get growlers and cans of beer for their tailgating the pre, before the pre pre-gaming yeah, yeah. so i <laughs> yeah, think that's they'll a prime spot <laughs> in addition to them making good beer right. their their location is going to make sure that they're successful that's for sure so now that we've covered the festival let's talk a little bit about uh, 
why BAM exists. Mm-hmm. What what is your main focus? What's what's the purpose? Yeah, why why are you here? Well, so I mean, BAM just like the Distillers Guild and the Wineries Association, the goal of the organization is to bring together all of the industry, um, and it's a membership organization. So not everybody is a member, but I'm happy to say that most are. Overwhelming uh, majority of the industry is a member of BAM. It's to bring them together to be a forum for discussion. Um, a lot of our effort goes toward marketing and, and events and marketing through events. Um, uh, the, the organizations figured out a long time ago, and, and that's to answer your, your prior question, which I, I think I evaded. But the organization figured out a while ago, and the breweries did and the wineries and distillers did, that the best way to promote your product isn't through advertising. It isn't through general promotion. It's, it's providing an opportunity for potential customers to try your product. And then it's the same reason that brewers and wineries and, and distilleries open up and have tasting rooms and tap rooms. That the, the goal is to get people to try your product. And BAM, as a statewide organization, just like the other two, um, provides a platform to then go out and, and facilitate these events, start these events, and then limit them in the ways that we think are appropriate. If you go to a BAM event versus some of the other events, it's it's not about drinking. It's about exploring. It's about um, finding new beer and the wine and spirits and the other um, organizations. But but then endearing yourself to those products. I mean, that that's what the breweries want. The brewers come to our festivals, either the brewers or the owners, so that they can meet the customer and especially during that VIP hour, have those conversations that you may not be able to have at some of the other events and, and certainly not always in the tap room. I think in, in another aspect, because the owners and the brewers are there, like because Maryland's so oddly shaped, even though it's a tiny state, people are still fairly far away from each other. Right. So a lot of times that may be the only times they're seeing each other and trying each other's beers. So exactly. Like you'll find yourself in conversations with two brewers talking to two each other. Two or three and, brewers at, at a tent talking about their beer and, and you know, trying, trying, I, I was just seeing that the other day where, you know, we're holding these regional BAM meetings and going around the state and, you know, the meeting's about an hour long and then the brewers and owners stay for another hour and a half to chat and talk because they don't get out much. You know, they don't they don't always get to see the other brewers and, and just nitpicking and figuring out how'd you make this and this is an awful, fl- you know, a, a amazing flavor and, you know, awesome brand and all that, so... Right, and we really just try to bring the whole industry together as a community. One of the things that we really value as BAM is education, and that's um, for the general public, that's for our brewers, that's giving them um, just different different like views that are out there and di- things that other brewers do to kind of teach them different tips and tricks, and they're able to share their secrets with each other, and we're able to facilitate relationships with local farmers that have these great ideas and work on different collaborations. So the fact that we are able to unite everybody and have them share um, share what they do, and that can really just help the other brewers, everybody. I wouldn't say that there's too much competition really everybody wants to help improve we want to put maryland beer on the map even more than it already is and just that really really helps by having that community aspect of the association now are the other industries like that also Mm -hmm. whereas like i mean there's definitely there's competition but it's an extremely friendly competition there it's the weirdest industry in the world where like two places that are within walking distance who are by definition should be at each other's throats 
are collaborative and help each other as much as they possibly can. Yeah, and I, I but think so are the wine industry, and I know the distilleries are completely like, that way. Yeah, and and it's been that way. Uh, the, the wineries association is actually the oldest, 1984. They started um, the the brewers organization started in '96, and then the distillers guild in 2005. Uh, excuse me, 2015. So that's brand new. But they're they're all they're all about collaboration and about growing the industry, and I think that's what distinguishes the manufacturing alcohol industry from wholesalers, retailers, bars, restaurants, is that those guys are in the business of selling a product. The manufacturers are in a business of creating something really cool that there's a culture around and about and and trying to do their best to, to put Maryland or their region in the map. So we've got uh, people um, opening brewers and, and deciding where to open their breweries, and they're deciding to open them in Frederick because they want to be part of the Frederick beer culture, which is very cool to say that we have that because, um, you know, maybe 20 years we didn't have that. Um, yeah, I don't – even when I first moved to Frederick, yeah. I don't think you would have said that about but Frederick. A, I mean, we still had – uh, in 2008 yeah. is when uh, Flying Dog was really running here. Like even then, I don't think you, like you wouldn't have said that Frederick was a craft beer town, but I think that's you can legitimately say that now. You can, and and just to to that point, I mean, when you look at um, some of the industry leaders, Heavy Seas, Flying Dog, Evo on the Shore, you know, some of our larger breweries, they have they they continually and constantly give back to the community. Flying Dog just hosted the hop market last week, and they do that um, not because they're trying to make money or not because they're trying to um, you know, sell anything. They're they're doing it as a community service because they felt like, you know what, we need to make a commitment to local hops, and and uh, we're just we're going to have this event and invite all the breweries. And sure enough, they come. And Evo does the same thing all the time. And Heavy Seas, they're they're very very collaborative. And you don't you don't see that in the tech market or you know, yeah, especially it, if you're someone who already has a foothold, you're not going to help. No, the, you, cl- the you people close getting the door. in. Right, right. right. You know, and, you you uh, don't share your business plan. We have breweries that do that you know, all the time. Yeah, I'll let you see my book. Sure, come on in. Yeah, because whether it's about the community, whether it's focusing on making a great product or whether it's legislative reasons, they all have the same goal. They're after the same thing. So they really want to help each other reach those things. Now, in so BAM is, I think you explained it before, but I always forget what it is. Grown Fortify is the we would Company consider group. ourselves the management group okay. of the Brewers Association, the Wineries Association, the and the Distillers Guild. Yeah. Okay, yeah. that's that, I might actually be able to remember that. Okay, <laughs> and Grown Fortified has its roots in agriculture, yeah. helping uh, farmers or uh, yeah. How so, does... so Grown Fortified came about um, three years ago, two and a half, three years ago, when after fifteen years of me actually being the executive director of the Maryland Wineries Association and and working them through some major law changes and major promotion um, abilities and efforts, um, we we realized that there was no one doing that type of in-depth groundwork for breweries and for distilleries. And so we zoomed out a bit. Um, I talked to the Wineries Association, and I said, look, we obviously, myself and our team, you know, we had three staffers. We want to keep doing this for the Maryland wine industry, but we think there's an opportunity to help grow the um, grow and fortify the brewers <laughs> industry and also the distiller industry. And so we move from being, you know, this is kind of inside baseball stuff, but we move from being uh, an employee of the Maryland wineries to essentially a, a contractor okay. of the Maryland wineries and then took on the brewers and took on 
the Distillers Guild to try to do the same thing. I mean, we we uh, the brewers have pointed to the wineries for years um, and would see me at marketing events and would see me at the Department of Ag and would see the wineries in Annapolis, you know, making major changes and, and kept saying, well, we want to do that. How do we do that? Why can't we have what the wine is? We want to do have? that, yeah. <laughs> and and so you know, essentially, you know, we came back with a proposal and said, "Well, let's do it." So the, the and I I assume it's just the um, wineries have been around so much longer, mm-hmm. so they they have they've had better foothold of having the regulations on them relaxed more than what breweries and or is it that is it more of the dynamic with the three-tier system that you see is... Yeah, I think it's a couple of things. The the, the wineries are different in that um, the wine industry is is overwhelmingly based in agriculture, right? So so what makes Maryland wine Maryland wine is the fact that it's grown here. That's a, that's a distinction point. What makes Maryland beer Maryland beer is that it's made here. Same thing with spirits. Now, you can use the local ingredients, and that's a definite value add, and that gets you know customers certain customers very excited, just like maybe saying it was organic or whatever else. It is a value add to it. Um, but the the wineries had you know since 1945 the first winery started, and um, you know one of their biggest legislative uh, achievements was passing direct shipping in 2011, and they did that after 30 years of trying. Because yeah, Maryland was was one of the last states yeah. that would allow yeah. uh, wine to be shipped we were like through the mail. Number right? thirty nine or forty to change their laws. Yeah, we love to go kicking and screaming to allow oh, yeah, people to be, to, to be the very to last purchase. one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's pause real quick because I want to talk about uh, the Rose House Pub again because they have some great uh, events coming up. One of them is another festival. The in the it's kind of they'll be giving away uh tickets to the beer beards beers and brats festival which they'll also have the preliminary beard competition at roast house pub and that's tomorrow uh the winner of that will automatically be moved into the final round at the festival i'm not 100 percent sure what all of that means it's a beard uh, pre-screening yeah, so yeah. yeah, it so you, if you have the finest beer at Roast House Pub, you get to go past the yeah. the ruffians at the festival yes. and go right into the finals. I'm not sure so what I'm late, right? Yeah, you will <laughs> it's not, not win. Work out, okay. I mean, I, I I don't know if you can wear fake ones. You may be able to have to read the uh the, rules. the fine print. <laughs> I wasn't provided any fine print, so you may or may not get I'm away with I'm that. Out, yeah. October 11th, they're hosting an event with Monoxy Brewing Company to benefit the Patty Horowitz Breast Cancer Fund. And then on October 9th, there's a event with Flying Dog and Lagunitas Craft Brewing. And you can, as always, for tickets and more information, go to roasthousepub.com. So let's get back to the associations. Mm. So do... Does it... Is it just because I don't follow as closely, or is it that... The wineries and distilleries do they they don't seem to have as many problems legislatively <laughs> as breweries do. Well, uh, or is it just that they're like y- the distilleries? Yes there, no. it's a small yeah. enough industry still that maybe they haven't hit those problems yet. I think that's true for the distilleries that they have not. They're still coming into their own, and you know we've got um, a government affairs uh, distillery call. Uh, end of this week, and we'll be 
it'll be pretty clear. Actually, it's next week. Got to get my calendar right. But it'll be pretty clear when we talk. You know what? After two years of them being open, because most of the industry is only two years old, right? You have a few that were open five years ago, but but no one who's really active selling selling to the public has been open more than five or six years. So um, yeah, because even though it was in was made legal in Maryland, right? It still took the other counties a while to to add it on create those yep. licenses. Yep. So we'll we'll hear from them what their biggest challenges are, and there are some distinct challenges that other states have um, overcome, like, you know, the, the fact that uh, you still can't buy a cocktail, right? You can go to a winery and buy a glass of wine. You can go to a brewery and buy a pint um, and, and a certain number of pints. Um, but to a distillery, you have to have the product straight, or you can have a tiny little sample, which was an achievement in last year's legislative session, which is great and is a move forward. But um, they're still, you know, they're, they're still not destinations in the way that our wineries and breweries are. And if you look at all the other states um, near us, especially, you can walk into a distillery and you can try the gin and say, could I try that in a gin and tonic? I'll, I'll buy, you know, a cocktail. And maybe it's one or two cocktails and that's the limit. Um, but, you know, that's something that, that is rather tedious right now. We've got, you know, one of our distilleries has taken video of, of a customer you know, saying, you seriously want me to try this gin straight. I don't drink gin straight. <laughs> like, yeah, you got to try it straight. And she's, you know, going wild about it. Or br- carry your own mixing kit. Or carry your <laughs> own mixing kit. I don't Because right. then you'd probably get in trouble for that too, I'm guessing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And while all the industries do have great support, I just think to go off your original question, I just think that the voices and the influencers that we have in the beer industry right now are just making sure that all of those issues we're having are heard um, and they're doing an amazing job in just kind of spreading that word and helping helping us get to where we want to be. Um, and so I think that's kind of why that's a little more predominant right now. Yeah, I, I think uh, when you look back at, at 2010, the wineries went through uh, a major revision in their law called the Winery Modernization Act, and that was a two-year effort, and it was a huge deal, and it, it um, took all of the same efforts that the breweries are going through right now, but it was, you know, eight, nine years ago. Um, direct shipping, end of a 30-year fight. So I think the wineries have had a big fight as well, and it, it was uh, 2009 right 2009 that uh, you still could not have a table or chair in a winery the rules were that bad you drink as long as you were standing that short a time ago yeah that's insane you could drink as long as you had a physical guided walking tour and then you could order a glass of wine but only one glass and you could not have a table or chair and i it was frederick county unfortunately that was the epicenter of that where you know and again the question was are you a bar or are you a winery because if you're a winery you can't have a table or chair you can't have people sit there. <laughs> and it was like cut or dry. And, and if, you, if they sold, if they had chocolate, Frederick Sellers was a winery right downtown. First real urban winery, and they had a little chocolate um, case, and they were selling local chocolate there. And, and unfor- Yeah, they were uh, the perfect truffle. Yeah. I think is what they- and unfortunately, that was counter to the rules of the three-tier system because that is getting you pretty close to being a restaurant in 2009. So, you know, we had that fight, a huge fight, awful fight, um, which is bringing back memories. I think the wineries have largely begun to level out in terms of the regulatory environment. Still some big challenges. Um, you know, they're going to come back this next legislative session to increase the amount of Maryland fruit that a winery has to use in order to be a certain class of winery. Okay. So there, it's so much about agriculture. So that's more – with them, it's more of making sure someone doesn't start up and 
where they call just buying juice, right? Yeah, or, buying or, juice or concentrate, and so they yeah. want to make sure if you're designated as a Maryland winery, you're actually you're producing actually a farmer, okay? Or you're buying from farmers, right? So which is which is the it's not unusual. Maryland wineries, uh, you know, the the law for Maryland wine is actually behind the international rules, and you go to California, you don't go to Napa to drink wine that was made in Chile yeah. or, or from grapes grown in Oregon. You go to Oregon for that, right? You don't go to, you know, Michigan to taste wine that was made from fruit in France. So right? they're actually almost more fighting for regulation amongst themselves exactly. than to, to try to raise, raise the profile because the customer base, I mean, people are, people are buying, you talk to any of the startup wineries um, that are, and even the older wineries that have wine clubs and, and people are paying to be in this club, and then each month they're getting the ability to buy $30 and $50 bottles, and the wineries are selling out. Why are they selling out? Because it's local fruit, high-quality wine. It's something that you truly can't get anywhere else except right here from that winery. So when when you were having the struggles with the wine industry, was it the same the same players that were fighting any of the advancement was it the wholesaler and retailer lobbies that Forbid were saying, so i'm guessing they were saying like the the bars and the liquor store or the beer and wine stores would go out of business if we allowed them to buy wine yeah, directly if you, and if, ship if, it exactly that, that every liquor store would see their sales go down are they still open uh, every There's, liquor store is still open. Okay, I thought. So. I, I mean, I've seen a lot of people selling wine. So, I, in, in fact, there are many more liquor stores than yeah. there were back in 2010. It's weird how that. that works. Well, I, I think it's it's um, you know, and this is this is me and my my perception here. But when you're in an industry like that, that is so heavily regulated in your favor. Oh, you don't want to give it up. Any it's, any change is detrimental. Yeah. Even if there's no impact you've lost an advantage because before you were mandated and tomorrow you might not be. You might have to be forced to compete. You might have to be open on Sunday to compete with the guy down the road. You may have to put in new lighting. You may have to buy new flooring. You may have to dress your place up so that people want to come to you as opposed to the guy down the street because there's competition now. And that's something that I think, you know, going back to your point about beer, wine, and spirits producers being so unified and collaborative um, they see it as a benefit to have other people in the industry producing like products or even, you know, products that, that expand the, the mix of, of what's available in Maryland as long as it's high quality and as long as you're a team player. So the, where do meads and ciders fall? So you would tell me that. Uh, I, I <laughs> so so like, there's the legal. I'd probably put them with wine because I don't. I'm not a big fan. You're not of a big a, fan yeah. of it. <laughs> well, good. So. The world according to Chris will rewrite the law. So, but but so you did you write the laws because in fact, um, mead and most cider are considered to be wine. So the the TTB the federal licensing agency says mead and cider are wine because of the, the process of how they're made because of the process of arbitrarily how they're made. decided well it, it it comes down to what the ingredients are and so generally anything that's a fruit or not grain is considered to be wine anything that is um, grain based or has any grain oh in that's it. right so when i was talking to monocacy yep. about we're gonna we're gonna make a mango sour ipa yep 
and we were just trying to decide like how much of the fermentables we wanted to derive from the mango and that was one thing they kept talking about like we need to make sure we stay above this certain point or it it won't be classified as a beer anymore yeah and there there are exceptions i mean i know with um breweries in maryland a brewery is allowed to make a straight apple or straight pear cider um, as long as it's under eight and a half percent alcohol but the minute you add anything to it you know if you add another fruit to it or it's it's not a hundred percent you have to be a winery and get a winery license so it's strange like that but then the marketing um, the market we hear this all the time that that our brewers and and uh, excuse me our wineries that make cider and mead often want to be associated more with the beer folks than the wine folks. Right, like we have the breweries like Red Shedman, who is considered a brewery, they're part of the Brewers Association, and they also make an incredible cider, but then we have members like Charm City Meadworks, who we would kind of say that they can fall into both categories, but they are a member of the Wineries Association. Yeah, because they're, they're, I I really like their mead, but it's, it's a lot closer to... Beer, yeah, I would exactly. say I, it's drier, it's um, carbonated, but also in the marketing, right? I mean, you look yeah, at it; it's, it's canned, in, it's in cans, it's, it, it looks, looks like beer. So yeah, so there's some crossover in there, but for the most part, if they're making solely cider, solely mead, they're technically part of the wineries association. So the um, you would say the number one issue that wineries now are fighting for is the regulation of how much maryland produced grapes are right um distilleries their main hot button issue now is to be able to serve cocktails or mixed drinks other than just here's a shot of of my gin right yes (laughs) um so you can't even like add a little bit of tonic to it you you can you can now add a little bit of tonic so you can have uh, a quarter or a half an ounce of of product in a little bit of tonic. Look out. People are going to be dancing I know, next. I know. I know. I know. Um, so. I don't think dancing's permitted. <laughs> Probably not. Still not allowed. No, no. So the, and this year there was the big struggle right. with the breweries. Um, with trying to, well, I guess going into it, the thought was there, the big issue was just um, expanding how much they can sell through their tap rooms. Yep. And then everything got flipped upside down, and it turns out they were going to be fighting for everything they already had, right. <laughs> and, and including the tap rooms. Right. Um, so I guess, would you characterize that we took a small step forward? or I mean, I guess it was a decent step forward, and maybe like a little bit backwards on some yeah. and, issues. And, and again, I think it, it, it depends on how much you know about the situation and you know i've i've heard some of the comments made on your podcast by the comptroller and and by other folks who who have ties to the industry and um so much of it last session had to do with guinness coming in yeah and i i don't know what would have happened uh if guinness were not coming in and entering the atmosphere i think that disrupted a lot of things and i think they're going to bring a lot of good to the industry but how it happened and what concerns were raised by the wholesalers and by the retailers, and, and that's it. There were no concerns raised by the beer industry, right? The, the local brewers were, you know, generally excited to see what was going to happen yeah. with Guinness. And Guinness has been— They just want to sell their beer. Yeah, Guinness, right. <laughs> I mean, it's the same kind of thing where Heavy Seas, the nearest brewery, 
um, you know, was going to throw a party. This is great. Well, it's, chance, it's, I mean, they'll probably benefit the most from Guinness opening. You think? Right. <laughs> I mean, that, that's, that's, that's the point. And I think that that's the theme that we talked about before that runs through the industry. So with Guinness coming in, um, the proposal that we had, which was basically going to rewrite the classes of beer brewery laws and was going to make a bunch of changes beyond just the barrel increase. That was something that, that our breweries desperately had been asking for for years and were getting nowhere. So that was included in the bill. But there were like 20 other advancements in our bill, and it, it got a hearing, and that's about it, right? All of the rest of the focus was about how does the beer wholesaler and retail industry constrain what Guinness wants to do to make sure that they don't lose any perceived or actual authority or benefit or market share. And included in that was um, a one-size-fits-all. Whatever we're going to do to Guinness, we're going to do to you, to the whole industry. And um, for better or worse, I mean, it, it, it was not the bill that came out of the house, and I know you had the comptroller on, and, and he kind of went through all of it, and Liz Murphy you know the 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 goddess of of, uh, yes. <laughs> of uh, queen Mar- queen the queen, of the queen. Yeah. Okay. shout out to you Liz Murphy God. she hasn't been deitized yet <laughs> not only, yet only um, well we have to make that official um, <laughs> but you know it, so much of what happened last session um, is what happens regularly with major bills is that someone wants something someone else you know doesn't want it or wants something very different. And whoever's got better access um, and better relationships with the leadership in the House and the Senate gets what they want done. And um, unfortunately, that's what happened. I think uh, in the House, it just it happened, and we weren't able to, to affect change, much change. We were able to make some changes. Um, the, the chairman of the, the House committee and I had a, a conversation as the bill was passing. He was able to make a change. I think he saw the light. Um, toward the end of the process, but made it very clear. He said, look, this is, this is happening. And, um, you know, if you're going to make changes, it needs to happen in the Senate. And that's where we turned on, you know, the advocacy and, and uh, really put the, the screws to uh, all of the players to, to force them to the table to negotiate. How, um, how big of an impact do you think craft beer fans had it made, on the it, alco- it made the difference so it was the the people reaching out listening to all the facebook posts yep. to write letters call 100 percent. and and we're going to be reaching out to them again this fall um once the comptroller's task force ends up and i do want to talk about the comptroller in the minute and, and his efforts but once the task force wraps up um you know we'll we'll hear what the comptroller is proposing we've got our own ideas um and and we'll make sure that that our our fans and followers are are clued in because it it would not have happened you know we would not have been able to alter um and dismember the really bad parts of 1283 without customers without the everyday beer fan um calling their legislators i mean you hear that right so as as a as a representative of the organization and Callie was involved in in some of the advocacy and certainly the the brewer brewer day in annapolis as we we go down there once a year and march around and introduce our folks and and all those things it it, that has an impact but every other group is doing that same thing every other lobbyist is doing that same thing what made a difference and what always makes a difference is customer civilian citizen voter 
engagement. People who are putting, giving them their jobs, yes. yeah, contacting I mean, it, 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 them. It, we, we heard toward the end of the session, and this is what, this was the game changer. So the comptroller clearly um, helped get the word out. And, you know, as soon as what was happening in the House was made public by Liz Murphy, right, she was the one that uncovered it and got people on record, which the political reporters, you know, historic old political reporters had never seen a scoop like what Liz got, right? So that that was, she's, she's a goddess. Uh, we'll give her that uh, deity. Um, uh, but that plus the comptroller and then, you know, fanning the flames and, and letting our constituents, you know, the, the legislators' constituents in on the inside of what was happening, that's what made the difference because as we walked around to talk to senators, you know, they basically said, gotten 40 calls today and we'd ask you know well what other what are the other issues and they're like there are no other issues <laughs> and there were issues like um, death with dignity and some other major social issues there was a major tax reform plan there was um, you know paid sick leave major social issues and the beer law made it to the top because of the calls and the emails and not just hey I heard that um, you know my brewery asked me to call about People were fired up. You're going to put my brewery out of business. You will literally close my new startup brewery. Or my friend and my family are opening up a new brewery and have, you know, just put their house on, you know, uh, in, into a home equity loan and everything else to, to, and gotten banks to give them a million dollars to start a new business. And what you're doing will shut them down. Um, that's what made the difference. Right. And I mean, and our influencers, the comptroller, Liz Murphy, our members, the brewers themselves, I mean, they are, they're the ones leading the charge, but the community as a whole is really the biggest voice we have. And just, man, I mean, just going off of managing our social media platforms and just seeing the feedback we're getting when we're posting, okay, here's how you can contact your local legislator if you want to. And just the response we're getting we're like i've already called five times today i'm writing another <laughs> letter like let's do this go maryland beer it's just it i mean it feels great and they are the reason that um the reason that we would advance so i guess the it was the house bill 1420 mm -hmm. was that, that that was our bill it was the brewery modernization yep. is so you were basically trying to do the same thing you did for the wine industry with the right. winery modernization act right did they have the same sort of huge setback the first time? Yes. Right before? Yep. Yep. And, and was it the same playbook they heard from? Although back then it was probably a little bit harder to let the masses know exactly. what was happening. Yeah, no, let... no. We had, we had, um, we, I think on the testimony day, we had, you know, 100 people come in and it was same thing back with the wine issues. Um, I think there were some big differences. Number one, we didn't have social media like we have now. Yeah. Um, they, there was not the ready fan base. Yeah. They had e-newsletters and e-newsletter lists. And, you know, I mean, that's a very different medium to try to, you know, gin people up to, to actually do something. Whereas social media, you can send links and, and, you know, target people and it can be, uh, make um, it very easy, for very them. easy, but a much quicker, <laughs> faster action. Um, to get something done and and frankly with with what happened in the house and how fast it happened and and you know what the comptroller said when he was on the podcast it, it was it was literally a backroom discussion and even the, the the chair of the alcohol committee didn't know what was happening when it was presented to him for a vote in a closed door session 
right? I mean, it just there were so many things that happened, and it was so fast that it it um, uh, we needed that kind of customer backlash. And you know, I've I've had conversations with uh, the lobbyists who represent the other groups, and um, they I don't think understand why we're still upset about it. And I've tried <laughs> to be clear that it's not what happened because advocacy groups and membership groups and industries lose all the time in Annapolis, right? So it's not about the fact that, you know, we, we lost um, a little bit here. Um, it's, it's how it happened. It's how they did what they did. And the fact that, um, you know, there were, there were, I mean, I had legislators tell me things that were complete and utter falsities, and they could have come from only one place. Oh, like that that the brewers agreed and yeah. it was a compromise. Yeah, and, and that I was in the room. They were told <laughs> that I, me specifically, was in the room, and I, I wasn't. You know? Didn't even know it's, what, you know, it was, it was the weird things where people were telling me, they told me that you were in the room. Like, who, who's they? You know, and it doesn't take you long to, to figure fig, out yeah, who just, just the, the, the lies and deceit and all that. I'm hoping we can get past that and actually um, use this task force, which, you know, has been – um, uncomfortable times, but it's it's been uh, a phenomenal opportunity to have these discussions that have only ever happened in the back room. Have them in the sunlight. Have them in public. Streaming live to Streaming Facebook. live yeah. for anyone who wants to see it and go back and look at it. I don't know how many people look at it live, but a lot of people go back and look at it because I have a lot of conversations, many conversations with people that, you know, specifically say, I can't believe what so-and-so said to so-and-so, and can you believe that anyone would say that and do they actually believe that that's the way the world Is it works the comments about prohibition and that it worked fine then or? it's unbelievable some of the <laughs> those stuff ones, that it's yeah, just <laughs> and i'm not on the task force so i'm i'm an observer as well and just sitting you know i i always try to sit right behind the wholesalers um because I, I like to hear, hear them whispering <laughs> to each other <laughs> and and, and, the, and frankly the uh there's a lot that we could say about it but yeah, I mean, it, it, it's all that's made possible by the Comptroller, and Comptroller Francho has been a huge supporter, um, not just specifically of the beer and the wine and of the distilling industry, because he was our champion back when we were passing other laws, and when he was a delegate, he, he put in a direct shipping bill, and you know he, he gets it that this is about um, economic development, and it's about entrepreneurs, and it's about manufacturing and jobs and all the things that um, you know maybe brewers don't use as their top level argument. They're about beer. But when you walk into a, a jailbreak or, you know, one of our newer mid-sized brewers, Union is another one. You walk into Union Craft and you see what's happening there at any one time, forklifts and, you know, deliveries. And it, it's it's phenomenal. There are not many industries that are bringing those types of jobs and activities yeah. to Maryland. I think that the task force and, and the forum that the comptroller has provided um, will be a game changer for this whole effort because there's so much now that's on record. There's so much that um, has been discussed and shown. And frankly, you know, the wholesalers, I don't know uh, which you've seen, and, and the wholesalers individually, some very good people, um, but the script that they're reading from and, and, and some of the things that have been put down in writing, um, I don't think they realize how appalling yeah, so those sentiments are. What, do you know what, what the percentage is? of the wholesalers who are fully independent as to ones who have stakes of their business owned by the big three? I don't know that. 
And I'm, I'm wondering, is that where a lot of the problem is coming from? Is it really the wholesalers being worried that they're not going to sell as much craft beer if people can get it directly from them as, as opposed to going through them? Or is it from actually big beer using that as a way to try to squash the craft beer movement a little bit? Or is there no evidence it, to that? I mean, it's a complicated answer. It, yeah, it's a very yeah. complicated dynamic how everyone works yeah, and, together. And, and, and I've and had like, conversations with, with wholesalers, and by that I mean people who actually own wholesale companies, beer wholesale companies. And if you look at you know one of the, the major focal points of the, of the um, task force, it's been franchise law. If you look at what franchise law is and why it exists, I mean, it, it's, it's there to protect the wholesalers from the really large breweries. That's what it's there for. And um, when you look at the size of Anheuser-Busch, Miller, Coors, whatever they're called now, AB InBev, um, if you look at the size of some of the other major large players um, and you ask yourself, does a local wholesaler need protection from them? Maybe. You know, I'm, I'm not a wholesaler, but when you hear the investments that they have to make in order to sell Budweiser and Miller and Coors, uh, maybe they do need that. Do they need that protection from small local brewers? Well, no. that one guy said he would need to buy another truck if he brought on a craft brewer. Isn't <laughs> that know? called business? Yeah, I think, wasn't it Carly that pointed that out? I yeah. think Carly from Attaboy. I, I enjoy... She's probably one of the more Carly's outspoken. Wild. Yeah, she's great. <laughs> Her and Tom Flores don't pull any punches when they start talking. <laughs> Tom, Tom, who wants to rewrite <laughs> yeah. the whole alcohol law, and that's great. I'm sure he's halfway through it, which is great. <laughs> Looking forward to reading it, Tom. But um, you know, I I, I think that that uh, I always find it fascinating. I had I had a a, a person who is a a blogger comment that um, he's surprised how much time is spent on the wholesaler and retailers part talking about um, uh, the fact that, that they need these protections to keep the lights on and to pay their employees and to hire trucks and to make sure that, you know, everything runs smoothly. Um, could brewers probably do and could we do as an industry a better job talking about how we need uh, all of the rules to justify those things? We could, but I don't think anyone got into business to, to build and create craft beer and to open a brewery and, for that sake, a winery or, or a distillery so that they can be harbored by laws and protected by laws. They want to make a great product and be dynamic with that product. And if the product's great, they want to be able to scale up and make more product and sell more product. And I, I think that's just business 101. And, I, I, you know, so much of the discussion has been reliant upon we need to protect ourselves. These laws protect us. Um, and keep us in business. Oh, and touting how much wholesalers give back to the community. Uh, I mean, brewers <laughs> brewers match that and probably trump it. Yeah, it's just every time it, I, I've watched one of those, they the, seem to the just response. go on and on about how much they give to the back to the community. As if brewers don't do that. Literally yeah, every like, time I'm in a brewery, I'm, I'm getting there just after a community event or right before the next one. Yeah, and it's happened at the task force. We're we're at we're at breweries. We were at um, Monument City 
brewing at a task force meeting, and the meeting was running long. They're supposed to end at 5 so that the task force members can go have a beer together, and it was running a little bit long, and there was a community group out there waiting to come in because they had a fundraiser that night, and Monument City had given them the space, and, you know, they were the comptroller eventually went out and said, you know, we're very sorry, and we'll let you in pretty soon, and, you know, what's your goal? And they had a goal of raising four or $5,000 that night, and, and they did. I mean, that's every night a brewery's doing that. Yeah, I mean, even for as how large Flying Dog is, they had it when I was raising uh, money for it, funny enough, for uh, breast cancer, which is well, it's leukemia, actually, it, Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. They had a fundraiser yep. to donate to Leukemia and Lymphoma Society through me. For So, I mean, it, and just a small little one, but they do stuff like that all the time. Even the every small brewery constantly has where they're supporting local charities. But do you use your good behavior and and the fact that you're a good no, person? No, they don't tout it. No. They just do it because no. that's Cause what they want the right to help. Because it's just the right thing to do. The... <laughs> yeah, but you don't, you don't try to shape laws to protect you so that you're able to do that. No, you, you get further faster just by, by being a good citizen. So is that um, the, there not being any humongous – Oh, I guess there are huge wine companies, but is that why within like liquor and wine they don't have the franchise law because there weren't the humongous, the largest yeah. players that they needed to be protected from? Or is yeah, I mean when when you I'm I'm no historian, but when you read uh, the books about uh, the three tier system, which was developed after prohibition, kind of as a as a controlling punitive system to keep the parties in line. Um, much of the reason we got to the point we did, which caused prohibition, was because of beer. And, and that's really why, and, and our overconsumption and our love of beer as a, as a country. And uh, it just got a little gratuitous, and okay. we were put in timeout. And you know, that's <laughs> kind of the, the layman's um, history of, of prohibition, right? There you go. <laughs> Decades-long timeout uh, with lots of people cheating and the rise of the mob and everything else. But it's... You know, in in the and even today in the world of wine and in the world of spirits, there are big companies, and there are big companies out there that are buying up smaller wineries and smaller distilleries. It's happening, but those companies are not acting in the same, um, I'll say it, uh, predatory way that AB InBev has been doing, where they are um, not only buying up regional brands, which why wouldn't you do that? You know, you're in the business of selling beer. Those brands are being successful. Acquire them. And now it's your beer to sell. That's great. Yeah. But there are c- c- consistent um, time and time again examples of predatory behavior in trade practices, in um, incentives uh, that we hear about in certain uh, distributors to, to sell those products over independent craft beer. Messing with the supply chain yeah. of ingredients. Yep. Oh, yeah. Buying up all the hops. I mean, yeah. that's 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 those are things that we don't hear examples of. We, so we, if we don't see large that. winery A buys up small winery B, C, and D. Right. They just kind of roll with what they're doing. They don't go and buy up all the grapes for them, so no one else. Right. Although, but it's different. Whereas a lot most, not most, a lot of wineries are growing their own grapes that they're using. Or is it still? They still have to buy a lot. They still have to buy a lot, okay. but there's there's a much bigger um, supply. There's a larger market of and for grapes 
um, and for grain, right? Grain's not, for, for distilleries, grain and sugar, it's not quite the same. The, you know, those are commodities. Um, so it's not the same uh, parallel as, as you find in beer. Okay. So how closely have you been working with the comptroller? Or- well, I mean, we stay in very close touch with the comptroller. Um, so, so they're still the industry's chief regulator. Um, so we're, I'm in constant conversations with them about breweries trying to do this or that and, and you know, making sure that we're constructing it and that the breweries are constructing their plans in a way that, that um, is legal and compliant and everything else. Um, and, and we're having to get creative because the market is changing. Market needs and demands are changing so fast that breweries are opening with slightly different business models than we've ever seen before. And so working with the comptroller and, and their regulatory and enforcement staff, Jeff Kelly and Lou Berman, um, who, who come to all the task force meetings, um, you know, we're in very close conversations with them. As for the, the task force and the policy, they're taking the lead on that. Are they looking to you for input, or is it he's just going from the task force and that's what he's... I mean, we, we going ha- to put the rec- recommendation yeah. forward with. We've had lots of conversations right. with them about um, what what the industry thinks <coughs> needs to happen, um, and and frankly, you look at fourteen twenty, which was our bill last year. That's round one of what we think needs to happen, um, and there are some things that the comptroller and the task force are talking about that go beyond that. We weren't discussing franchise law last year. Um, but it's now a major topic. So is this your, is the, so we'll switch back to festivals and events. Mm-hmm. Is this is your final event for the year, correct? Yes. The, for the well, Brewers Association, this is, we are closing out beer festival season. So what are the, um, what are the largest events for wineries that you are behind? So for wineries, our biggest event, I would say, would be the Maryland Wine Festival that happened um, just a month ago back in September over in Carroll County. Um, That's definitely one of our biggest of the year, as well as Wine in the Woods that happens in the spring. And there's also been a new series of events that the Wineries Association actually hosts, but it is a Drink Maryland series. So, so far we've had a Drink Maryland North Beach in Southern Maryland. We have had a Drink Maryland Centerville over on the Eastern Shore. Um, We may be having another Drink Maryland coming up pretty soon um, in a different region and the cool thing about that is that the wineries association hosts it but they also invite maryland brewers and maryland distillers so it is more of a tri-industry event bringing the three communities together which is really really cool and then distilleries and then distilleries so we have been doing something similar series wise we've been doing a spirits of maryland so far we've had spirits of maryland southern maryland spirits of maryland baltimore and then we also work really closely with the frederick news post on the frederick craft spirits festival which we're really excited about the second one in 2018 hopefully a little bit less rain yes. this time around fingers crossed oh, it wasn't that bad <laughs> people there was still a surprising number yeah. of people and it was everyone a great day. had fun yeah it's amazing. You can, while drinking spirits, you can still have fun drenched. Very drenched. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe indoors this go around. Um, hopefully, yes. yes. And so the next, um, the next beer-focused events would be 
February, correct? That's right. Yes. So February is definitely you right around the right. corner. <laughs> um, so as Governor Hogan announced, February is Maryland Craft Beer Lovers Month. And so that month really focuses on all of the breweries themselves hosting events and just doing things to get people out to the brewery just to see what's going on all over the state all month long. We do have one big signature event, and that's Love Thy Beer in Silver Spring. So we're really looking forward to that. But February is really just a month-long celebration. Uh, let's talk real quick about your magazine before we wrap up. Yeah. You also produce a magazine, right? Well, we've, we've partnered the last few years with Custom Media Options. Okay. Um, and they've, they've produced the Brew Pub, which is uh, essentially a guide to the Maryland craft beer industry. Um, we hear that they're working on a new uh, publication that may be Beer, Wine, and Spirits. And uh, food. And food, and lots of food to go along with your beer, wine, and spirits. And it's, it's been kind of a, a, a guide uh, to the industry with a map and, and some feature stories. Um, we've also got our Maryland Craft uh, Beverage Map, which came out in February and will be February. Um, yeah, I was, I was uh, I guess, declassifying it February. <laughs> and uh, we'll, be, we'll be launching a new version of that soon, but that has all... Uh, member brewers, wineries, and distilleries from all three. You almost have to update that once a month at this point. <laughs> yeah, I mean, oh, the, yes. the, the breweries and even the wineries are still opening at a pretty fast clip. Yeah, and the brochure is great to have all of the listings on one side, the entire map on the other. Um, yeah, updating it can be a problem, but we're hoping to be able to get that online pretty soon. Um, so maybe we can do updates yeah. a little bit more frequently, but just having that physical map, um, we really love Getting and have a had lot great of feedback. feedback. On it. Well, it's cool looking. I mean, I have one that I kept meaning to frame and hang in here, but I haven't gotten Us around too. to that yet. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to thank you guys so much for coming in and all the tickets. Oh, I I'll I will randomly generate the winner of the tickets afterwards because I don't my. My main laptop died this morning, and like, oh. this is I was, your backup. This is my backup, and I don't have like any of the stuff. I like I've been trying to <laughs> get that set up while still paying attention to you throughout this, oh but I have not been able to yeah. make that. Well, happen. if you don't win the tickets, they're still available on BaltimoreCraftBeerFestival.com. But shortly <laughs> after we finish recording, I will. You'll pick a randomly <laughs> okay. pick a winner <laughs> and you can blame apple for that problem you can blame apple for a lot of things stupid high <laughs> sierra update that killed my laptop yeah <laughs> <laughs> so thank you graham for interrupting me <laughs> and uh thank you for coming in explaining all the great work you're doing to benefit the craft beverage industry in maryland and the great event you have coming up. We appreciate the time, and yeah, thanks, thanks for, for everything you're us. doing. Thank you. Um, well, actually, where tell everyone where they should go to keep up with uh, your call to actions, uh, which will be coming up soon, and for event information. Yep, so we put all of our information on marylandbeer.org, but you can also follow us on um, Instagram, add us on Facebook. We share everything on there as well. Same, same thing for the Maryland wineries and distilleries. Great. Thank you so much. All right. Thank Thanks. you, everyone, for listening. The Uncapped Podcast is produced by Graham Cullen and me, Chris Sands. Be sure to like us on Facebook. And if you've enjoyed these podcasts, please leave us a review on Google Play or the iTunes Store. A special thanks to Double Motorcycle for providing our theme music. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.